Welcome to Arise Lunchtime Talks. For those who don't know us, Arise is an NGO who focuses on family strengthening, no matter how families are formed. Arise is made up of a multidisciplinary team who believe that through building resilience and being strength focused, we can improve the lives of children and families. To find out more, visit arisefamily.org. I'm Danielle Musaji. Everyone calls me Danny, and I am your host. So join me in this episode to find out how we, together, can help all families thrive. Right, good day, and welcome back to Arise Lunchtime Talks. Today, we are going to be talking more about a serious topic around Mm. child protection. We find ourselves in the middle of the week in South Africa around Child Protection Week, looking at how do we protect our most vulnerable in society, which are children. So Alexa Russell-Matthews, who is an integral part of our team at Arise, is sitting right opposite me. So uh, Alexa, what does child protection mean for you? Oh, hey. Uh, so I think the, the obvious one is always the stuff we associate with child protection. So the police and the social workers and neglect yeah. and abuse. But child protection to me is a much bigger story than that. For me, it is looking at what do we have in place to protect our children before we need to be calling in the remedial action of removals and reporting and all of those things. It's how do we keep our children in school? How do we protect our children's abilities to thrive in essence? So what does that look like from a healthcare system point of view? What does that look like educationally? What does that look like in our faith communities? And also, what does that look like in our families? Mm. So, you know, there's the legal definition of child protection, as everyone your child protection social worker or your therapeutic yeah. social worker or psychologist or whatever but i actually think it's much more than that i think child protection is everyone's responsibility who is around a child yeah and that's from the time that they are born how do we help them thrive because that's mm. protecting our children yeah to not need the safety security rea- responsive reactive stuff actually. yeah so it's that preventative measures yes um needed Um, But we know that our preventative measures in our country are lacking, particularly for our kids in marginalized communities. So this is, that was a big sigh, intentionally. (laughs) I find this so frustrating to talk about because when was it three weeks ago when Arise was contacted to to go and do some work at a school by the school. Mm. And when I spoke to the person at the end signing out and doing all the legal paperwork stuff to leave the school property, because you sign in and sign out when you go into a school. Yeah. She said to me, thank you so much for coming. Our psychologist hasn't been able to get back to us. We appreciate you being here. And actually, we don't blame the psychologist. Mm. And when I got in touch with the psychologist to let her know to take it off the list, she has three times the amount of work Mm. that one person can legitimately do in a day. And so that means that two out of every three kids that are being referred, for example, to support services are not going to be assessed. Mm. And I think it's Danny, you that said to me that when you looked at that and you worked on the stats and the hours and the availability, two children per every single school in our marginalized areas will see that psychologist in mm. a year, Yeah, which is a problem because how do we protect our children who are at risk of falling out of school? Because they can't read properly. They've got learning issues. They've got processing issues, which in our more affluent communities, you can access support within your school, at school, yeah. or you can go to private practitioners. Yeah. So what does that mean for for Josie, who's sitting at school, mm. whose mommy also didn't finish school and goes to work, 
and who can't read properly mm. and can't even hold or a left-handed kid is another thing I've had recently where the child literally is in trouble all the time for we're working in a messy way mm. but actually he's a left-hander mm. and no one's helped him hold his pencil and learn to be left-handed mm. and so I look at that and I'm what is the child learning that school is not safe that I can't achieve and actually the system is the problem, not the child's left-handedness. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's very complex in our marginalized communities, particularly the communities that we work in, because not only are their communities not safe, because mm. we know of the gangs and violence within communities, but then their homes also are not safe. No. And then school is just also... Not, not safe. And we do know that across our country, our school has one of the most, I think, one of the most violent areas in a, a kid's life is at school. We see videos almost daily yeah. of kids bullying each other, beating each other up at school. And then the social media response is also, we are the parents. Yes. But what work are we doing with parents and with families to keep their family strong so there's a different story? Exactly. You know, it's very easy for us to like, and it's so easy as keyboard warriors to judge everything. But mm. we need to, I keep saying this, someone invited us to do something around African leadership stuff later on in the year. And she was like, you could talk about the impact of violence on children. And I was like, why don't we talk about what's driving the yeah. violence towards children rather? Mm -hmm. So that we actually have to start asking the bigger questions. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to keep sticking band-aids on things that actually need an overhaul. Mm. But we also can't just talk about violence without mm -mm. talking about gender-based violence no. and the impact that it has with children because we know that kids who even witness violence have the same symptoms of kids who have been phys physically abused yeah. themselves. So, And then if that is in terms of gender-based violence, how many kids are watching violence in their street? How many kids are watching violence on TV? And there's that whole desensitization. Yeah. I hope I said that word right. Desensitization <laughs> that starts go. happening. Yeah. Whether it's through our video games or even in Cape Town recently, there was a horrible, horrible incident where someone was burnt to death. He was necklace. Mm. The police got there too late to save him. Mm. I mean, they were able, it's a horrible story that's not for now. But it was a fear based response. And people were part of that response. And children would have witnessed that response. And it was done in the name of protecting children, but actually. Mm. It was a heinous act of murder yeah. that happened. And yeah. so that's become, no one trusts the system, the police, the social workers, and people mm. are taking stuff into their own hands. And we are ending up with what's becoming normalized levels of violence that are horribly damaging to human mm. beings. But I mean, we can't blame people either for not trusting in our systems no. where the systems themselves have not shown mm. up for our kids. And we spoke I mean, to that last time yeah, with that 11-year-old that was like, why is no one shown up until now? Yeah. And I mean, we look at schools last year, which I think our biggest advocacy was our kids need to go back to school full time. Yes. And now look, we having school after school after school just not coping with mm. the behavior issues they see no. in kids. And that's a One, spatial justice issue. Actually. Yes. But also you have kids who have not had the data or the internet to do schoolwork mm -hmm. so they've missed out chunks or electricity let's or, also not forget that yes. if you don't have electricity you can't work yes um and so they're missing chunks out of their curriculum and so they're sitting in a classroom not understanding their work not being able to catch up teachers don't have the time or the patience and then you also on top of that you having anxiety and depression mm, so, so and the just, mental health pandemic is catching us now and also just pure exhaustion from being 
in lockdown for so long. Which we were just talking about this morning is yeah. everybody is tired. Yeah. It's the post intense tiredness yes. now. It's, we actually just need a respite. Yeah. But we can't because we need to keep taking over. Exactly. So, it's hard. so, I mean, again, it comes back to child protection and going, are we really seeking justice for our kids or are we just putting the band-aid on the situation? Because, again, we could speak for hours and hours on the issues. On the issues it's like every single facing. topic has drilled <laughs> down for four hours <laughs> as we're talking. Yeah, but the reality is there is no justice for our kids. Mm-mm. And I think part of that's also, uh, I was privileged enough to listen to an educational or a, clinic, a counseling psych speak about pedagogy and so the theory of learning and education and critical consciousness. And so what is what is the system that is at play now teaching our children in our school spaces? Are we preparing kids to engage and to interact with the world around them? Or are we still repeating patterns and asking teachers to do the road systems that aren't able to equip children with all the other stuff because I, so I don't think this is all on educators yes we've got educators that are burnt out for example in the school space but when you're an educator of 60 children in a grade one classroom how do you pick up who's left-handed who's like you are doing classroom management yeah. basically yeah and kids don't all have access to desks or you in a meeting recently where you sat on a broken chair yeah. how do you what is the hidden message being told to you when that's your learning space yeah. And, and there's no way our, our teachers are then able to pick up the red flags mm-hmm. either. And so our teachers are doing the best they can and surviving exactly. in, in 2022 of what has been left over from 2021 and yeah. 2020. And so our kids are just caught up in, mm-hmm. in the mess and in the gaps of our systems because even our healthcare system can't cope with the amount of referrals that are coming. No, the waiting lists are too long. And so yeah. the kids then... If we look at it from an age point of view, and that's a lot of the letters we're getting around transferring kids, mm. where we get given letters as social workers and asked to help this child, but it's where the school has decided they can't cope with the child anymore. The parents requested the transfer. Often our parents are not equipped, empowered, or literate to read what is going on on that piece of paper. And then they're being told that the child is moving schools at their request, but there's no school to go to. And every single parent goes, why would I pull my child out of school when I know that getting a child into school is a problem? Yeah. But the school doesn't know what to do. Or the school is just like, well, we're overwhelmed, so you can go because yeah. actually we don't have space for this right now. Yeah. And so I look at all of those things and I'm, and I think this is something as a rise that we say all the time is how do we get those different silos of education, of health, of social de- development? How do we start talking to each other and better partnering? Mm. Just not just from a public perspective, so not just government, but with public private partnerships. Yeah. You know, we see that rolling out in other areas. Why, what is stopping us from doing that better? in the space when it comes to children? I don't know. I mean, I I could only assume that there's people don't know where to start. And I think our system is just overburdened and overloaded. I mean, if if you just think about social development and statutory Mm. work, I mean, one, we don't have enough social workers (laughs) to protect our children. Two, each social worker in child protection and statutory work, those social workers who are removing kids and dealing and investigating with child abuse, has about 200 to 300 cases each. There's no way Mm. that a single person can go through that in a year, in two years, in three years. So those kids are at risk is what yeah. 60 cases per social worker is what yeah. a social worker should have on their desk not two to three hundred so so we look at all of that and i think i mean it's easy to be overwhelmed and get quite depressed yeah. and despair in the midst of that but i, I mean danny i quote you often on there's got to be a different way of doing this mm. so i'm going to ask you as the director of arise 
not just this podcast host. <laughs> what would you do differently if you were in charge of child protection and the interests of children? What would you do? Oh, I'd go to the root cause. I think our welfare system is not geared to actually protect our children. I, our welfare system was written back in the day to continue oppress people which the cycles continue to do so we ask these questions and it's actually well we need to we need to actually rewrite our welfare system where true family preservation is put in there in terms of our policy and implemented and social workers are trained in family preservation before kids are even removed and obviously we always say we don't live in an ideal world and there is abuse and there is neglect but how do we work with our parents in order for them to do the work they need to do in order for their children to be reunited because they because that's not happening i mean and i speak for for someone who for those who don't know me my my starting point was in statutory work Mm -hmm. and i did have 263 cases and also burnt out i mean we've spoken about (laughs) the fact that eventually you got to the point where it wasn't that you didn't care is that there was nothing left inside yeah i mean it's it's not even the burnt out it's not even the caseload it was that you were literally just putting the band-aid on the situation which i think contributes i mean we know burnout comes with a sense of helplessness and hopelessness and that i can understand i mean i sat on the other side of the therapeutic space yeah and i think you know people who know me i don't just sit silently and i try and go to people with the powers to be and so you i had meetings with ministers i had meetings with directorates of department of social development in my district to which they said this is how it is so i need to grow up and just accept it and i said no i won't and i still refuse to accept it so even people in as much as they are doing the work i think people aren't ready to actually stand up against the systems that we find ourselves in because we did we inherited a flawed system exactly and i think that when we talk about like what is triggering this it's our entire system needs Mm. overhaul Because I'm, our system, as much as there's hospitals being built here or extra roads there, that's it's bit work. It's not actually a holistic looking at what is going on that is reinforcing the status quo. Exactly. And I think that that's, I mean, the fact that we still have kids asking the same questions that they were asking when you were there a number of, not so long ago, Daniel, <laughs> but when you were starting out is problematic. Yeah. It's usually problematic. And the, my biggest frustration, and I understand why we do this, I'm not saying we don't do this because there needs to be safety for people on the ground, is that every time there's a gang war, what do we do? We send in the army and the police. And mm. it becomes, it feels like, so hear me, this is my opinion, it feels like political grandstanding so often. Mm. But the, the conscious work of what, is need to, what needs to happen so that we can start reducing the amount of times that is needed, that doesn't feel like it gets invested in in the same way. No. And for me, looking from a very comfortable place from the outside in, that's the very frustrating part for me is that, and when we talk about political war, I don't mean like the DA or the ANC or the EFF. I mean like people who are sitting in the places where we could be influencing strategy and policy. That is part of child protection. Mm. Like at what point do I look at my children that I drop off at school and I know that they're safe and think about my friends who living are living in a street where shooting is busy happening currently and recognize that those children are equal to my children in terms of what they should be able to access and at what point do i use my voice to push for that yeah and so for me this child protection week and this year i've been wondering about what does that look like what mm. does that look like if as just 
like Joe Bloggs, who lives down the road from me in the suburbs, starts petitioning for that to happen, what would change? And what would it cost me yeah. for that to change? Yeah, I mean, one, I think we do need to see that every child, right, the saying it takes a village to yeah. bring up a child, I think it is true. I think when, and people who know me know, if I'm driving around and I see a child not in school, I stop and ask, why are you not in school? And you I, go from being <laughs> the nice lady very quickly to like, oh, we need to get away from this woman. Yeah. <laughs> so, Fast. yeah, so I think part of that is when you see children walking around in your neighborhood and it is school time and it's not school holidays, to not be afraid to ask that question when you are you know and and if you're in a place of privilege going how do we partner with other organizations where there are kids who are less fortunate to go do they have stationery do they have have, shoes do they have underwear you know these are the things Mm. that give our kids dignity but even more so how do you help a family thrive how do you help a family the system work well together and i think you know just in my own life it's looking at well you know my domestic worker who works for me it's going how do i help her and her family work well together and so that might be you know when she will tell me now great i have a school meeting can i go for sure go of course um you know and and being open and having a relationship so that the people in your lives that are in a more um, disadvantaged um, circumstance are able to go, this is my needs and this is my wants for my kids. So it becomes relational, not just charity. And I think that's the other part of it is that I love the example you just gave because it's out of relationship and out of knowing. Mm. And so people become seen from that space. And I think if we all just started seeing people more, the people we encounter every single day and asking those hard and and being okay with not being able to fix everything in that moment. Because the reality is that while we're advocating for that system overhaul and looking mm-hmm. at his rise, like what do we do with that? And how do we get into those places where we can be having the bigger conversations is also what do we do in the here and now? Yeah. And I think so it's the micro as well as the macro systems yeah. that we can engage with. Yeah. And I think it's, it's you know, if you're in a church community, what other church can you partner with that are already working with families? And not just as charity, but really looking at the the root causes and the needs of families. Is it food? Is it stationery? Is it prayer? Is it coming, um, you know, to the church and really seeing the needs of that community? And asking them what they are, not assuming. Yes. Um, So all of that, I think, is really important. But it's looking at your sphere of influence. What can you do? And I think that's essentially what we should be doing mm. in, in your you know even the school that you said that you drop your kids and you, and you know your kids are safe what is that school doing because how many schools do we know that need psychosocial support yep. can't access that support because they actually don't have the budget for it because mm. they're busy trying to feed their kids because of their feeding scheme actually is needed because you can't feed a hungry child or you know i know um the primary school that we work in there's a lady who actually is retired but she stays there to wash the kids before they go to school so they line up in one of the classrooms and i see in the morning sometimes with that bucket and she washes the kids so at least they can sit clean and the other kids don't make fun of them for smelling terribly these are our heroes in our community that give dignity Mm. to our kids and so it's going how do we support those schools so that they can also have access to the what do you say the more privileged things like 
counseling that is not available to many many of our kids um you know psychosocial for our teachers who also are not trained to deal with the severe abuse that they hear that witness yeah and they've got to look at this kid day in and day out and actually know they're going home to violence or a perpetrator Mm -hmm. because the social worker hasn't done their home visit or these things are happening and so child abuse doesn't just affect the child it affects all the system that the child is in and eventually that child becomes and grows up into an unhealed adult which perpetuates into the society that we have today and so if we do not focus on child protection if we do not make this our priority then we only giving in to the kind of society that we are going to expect in the years to come I think we do. We have a responsibility to, if we want a different world for our children, for this next generation, then we have a responsibility to help create it. Yeah. Not just point out the flaws in it. For sure. Wow. So, which is why I'm excited about the spaces that we get to inhabit yeah. so often. And I think there's, I'm going to get this wrong. I know I'm going to get this wrong. <laughs> but somewhere about it's easier to redirect the course of a child than it is to repair a fractured, broken adult. Mm. And we know that's true. Yes. We see it. And so I've misquoted that person horribly. If anyone knows that, you're welcome to email us. But, but I do. I think if we can redirect that, then we start protecting our children from day one. Yeah. And so as you're listening to us talk about what does child protection mean this year for us and what it is that we can do, um, know that you can t- contact Arise. Um, we are really advocating for all churches, organizations to really understand what it means to protect children, um, and understand our Children's Act, um, understand our constitution mm-hmm. and what that means for you as an adult working with kids, that you are a mandatory reporter. And so how do you understand that when you're seeing those red flags? What are those red flags? And it doesn't just have to be abuse and neglect. It can be what if a kid is self-harming? What if a kid is cutting themselves or uh, having an eating disorder or texting and cyberbullying and all of these things that are affecting our children? We need to protect our children from that. We cannot ignore it. We cannot, I cannot keep reading stories. I'm part of this group on Facebook and it's always parents going, my teenager um, was sexually assaulted by her boyfriend. I'm feeling so sad about it. I am. And people are like, oh, don't bother reporting it. Okay, but what are we going to do? When kids are bullying each other on the rugby field, um, calling them names um, or throwing money at them on a rugby field because they think they're poorer, that, that is actually emotional abuse. We need as parents, as adults in our kids' life, we need to role model how do we stand up when we see things wrong. That is part of child protection. So if you are as passionate as I am and as Alexa is, and you want to see people more equipped in child protection in your schools, in your organizations, in your churches, then contact us on training at arisefamily.org. So as you reflect on child protection this week, let's let's reflect on it for this year. What difference are for we the long making? term, not yeah. just for this week? I think it's one thing you know. Awareness weeks are great, but actually there needs to be long term sustainable plans. Yes. So what does that mean going forward? Yes. Is what is your child protection policies at your schools, at your organisations, in your churches, your children's clubs, 
all of these things are important. So again, if you are interested in finding more, go and email us at training at ariseandfamily.org. Until next time.